strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Monday. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, Secretary Mayorkas says that we're talking about the Biden administration. We don't bear responsibility for the border crisis. Um, on Sunday, he had uh, he, he claimed this, that they don't bear any responsibility despite a lot of other things. And there's a list of some things in the story I got from Zero Hedge. Terminating the national emergency at the southwest border, revoking a Trump-era executive order that was designed to ensure there was meaningful enforcement of U.S. immigration laws, issuing an executive order protecting DACA recipients, unveiling the U.S. Citizenship Act, which would provide amnesty to millions of illegal aliens in the U.S., demonstrating intent toward rewarding illegal border crimes. And announcing a 100-day moratorium on deportations and immigration enforcement, effectively providing amnesty to criminals and other removable aliens. That's just from that story. I've got a few other headlines. There's been over one and a half migrant encounters since the last time Mayorkas said that the border was secured. But then what the states are dealing with. I'm just going to go headlines. I'm going to come back to some of these individually. First one from AZ Central. House GOP field hearing focuses on impact of illegal immigration on public lands in Arizona. Denver is furious. This is a story from the uh, the Wall uh, the Wall Street Journal. Denver is furious that Washington can't fix the border. Uh, the level of violence is terrifying. Mexican cartels tranquil the targets tranquil Puget Sound City. Um, and then there's this one here. DACA recipients are left out amid the rightward shift on immigration. You can't lay this at the feet of people on the right. Let me explain something to you. I would consider myself pretty far on the right on most issues. And I think that the DACA recipients, the dreamers, are the biggest, most glaring example of a broken immigration system and failed border security efforts. That, along with 100,000-plus unaccompanied minors that we don't know where they are in the U.S. This is the part of this conversation that makes me angry when people say stop the politics and then the politics get right, right into it. We have seen nothing. The DREAM Act was two presidents ago. So if you I don't know that anybody liked the entire plan, but this playing politics happens on both sides of the aisle on this issue. Right now, the Republicans are taking heat for not passing a piece of legislation that many of them say is full of holes. We had Congressman Siskamani on this show that talked about some of the things that it doesn't go far enough. He said there were some things in there that were good, but we need a lot more of them. What this is is maintenance of what's going on, not a cure for what's going on. So you don't have to agree with him, but that doesn't mean that they were just saying, no, we don't want to do anything. Go back to the uh, previous administration during the Trump administration. Former President Trump said that he wanted a fix to our immigration issue that would have included more protection or protection for more dreamers than were currently protected under the executive order under President Obama. But he wanted immigration reform coupled with some other things, border security. But in that immigration reform, he wanted to end chain migration, which means this current generation of immigrants gets to dictate who comes next by picking family members and extended. Now, I'm not talking about immediate family members, extended family members. He wanted to end the visa lottery system, which he thought was unfair, that it should be a merit system for people that come here, not someone waiting for their name to be drawn out of a hat. Those were reasonable things that he asked for. And he said to the Congress in six 
months, I am going to sign an executive order stopping the DREAM Act, which gives the Congress six months to come up with a solution to what's happening with immigration. And what happened? The other side of the aisle, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats went to court and they got a federal judge to stop all of that from happening, saying that the former president couldn't do anything. Now, that doesn't mean you should agree with the former president's plan. What it means is both sides of the aisle have made attempts to do something. And the other side of the aisle, when they did it, didn't go for it, stopped it. So if you're going to if you're going to complain about one, you have to complain about both. In the end, the dreamers are stuck in the middle of a political nightmare and dysfunction. They just are. And when you see this happen over and over again, it gets frustrating. I live in Arizona, House GOP field. A group of House Republicans gathered Thursday at Cochise College in Sierra Vista to learn more about how public lands are impacted by illegal immigration. So here is a a quote from Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin. As the immigration surge has overwhelmed official ports of entry, migrants have been pouring into Arizona public lands, which are more remote and less easily patrolled. Um, now, this guy, Tiffany, he he chairs the subcommittee and added that each migrant leaves behind an estimated six pounds to eight pounds of trash. I've been talking about this issue for years here in Arizona. We struggle with the environmentalist movement. And I will tell you, the true environmentalists in Arizona are the fishers and the anglers. Fish, I'm sorry, the hunters and the anglers, the people that fish the lakes and the people that hunt the land. Those are the true environmentalists, the, hunt, the ranchers and the farmers, the people that make their living, many of them for generations off of the land. Those are the true environmentalists. They have a vested interest and an emotional connection with the lands. Most of the time, the activism in the environmental groups Groups may be well-intentioned, but they are way off many times, many times. And where are those groups? I mean, where are those groups on the border? I've encouraged people to do this. You can go online to any search engine you want, and you can trash on the border, something like that in a search engine, and take a look at the the trails and the pathways that the coyotes and the, the cartels are leading people into the U.S., and take a look at what the devastation in the desert. Supposed to be protected, supposed to be well-maintained, supposed to be pristine. Go and look what's left behind. It is amazing what's there. And no one talks about it. You would think, and I'm not saying it shouldn't have been covered, but when we talked about the uh, separated families, all we saw were pictures from the Arizona Republic, which turned out to be uh, mis, um, misguided because they were said to be during the Trump administration. They turned out to be between from the Obama administration. But we saw all this evidence. And when you see something, it means more. You can read about it. Since we've got video evidence of things, when you've seen, uh, I can't remember the NFL player that that got arrested for battery on his girlfriend or his wife. And then we saw the horrific video of the punch he threw inside an elevator and the devastating effects of that punch change the entire narrative once you see it. When you see dash cam videos or police body cam videos of situations, when you see video evidence, it changes things. When you see photographic evidence, it changes things. I can talk to you all day long in this format about what's going on at the border. And it's not just here in Arizona, but we We live in Arizona. Until you go online and you see it for yourself, just that alone, just that alone should make people look at that and say, what in the world is going on? 
and yet nothing is done. It is not covered. I would, if it were me, when you want to see what's happening, they will show you can go online and see what's happening at the Texas border. The people that are lined up, the the tent cities that are out there in makeshift tents where people are living, it looks like a third world country. And nothing is fixed. And then Mayorkas says, we bear no responsibility. It is an absolute farce. Now, the the um, the uh, impeachment of Mayorkas, I don't think is going to do any good. To be honest, I've been very honest about this. I mean, you're you're going to get the president is going to nominate somebody else that thinks and does the same things. It should be concerning to everyone. All right. In a moment, um, we are going to talk about the shooting that happened at Joel Osteen's church in uh, in Texas. We're going to talk about what happened and the fallout because there is some and a connection that some of you need to make. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And you can win tickets to see the legendary comedian Jeff Dunham at the Footprint Center on February 21st, his Still Not Canceled tour. Head to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and your chance to win. So uh, the preacher, uh, Joel Olstein, was uh, his mega church was um, was uh, there was an attack at the church. The motive of the woman that opened fire in this church at the Lakewood Church was um, not known yet. Two other people were also shot and wounded, including a five year old. But here's the thing about this story that I think we need to discuss. Police say two off duty officers working security at the Lakewood Church were the ones that uh, neutralized the suspect. They took her out. There are some uh, concerning things. Courts allowed New York to prohibit guns in sensitive places is one of them. A panel of judges said the state is allowed under a uh, constitution to ban guns in locations such as parks, bars, and sometimes churches. Um, and so when you look at these, these stories, um, American Express Visa MasterCard move ahead with code to track gun store purchases in California. Um, when I look at these stories, the reason why I mention them is the we we automatically talk about these shootings. I want you to hear a little a little bit of this. This is um, the Texas. Uh, this is an ABC News report about the gunfire. Chaos erupting at Joel Olstein's Houston megachurch, Lakewood, after a barrage of gunfire. I was just walking uh, up the stairs, and when I got when I got on the top, like it started, they started shooting. I don't know, like I just heard, but it was like more than ten shots. Levi Andrade capturing the moment shots rang out. The shooter taken down, but during the gunfire, a young child shot, now in critical condition. So they, this whole thing, um, this is another ABC News report about the situation and how it unfolded. Authorities say the suspected shooter, a woman between 30 and 35 years old, walked into the church with a young boy. Police say two off-duty police officers working security at the church shot and killed the shooter. The boy, believed to be five years old, was injured. All of it happening just as a Spanish service was about to begin with hundreds of parishioners inside, then running for their lives. So 
the reason why I bring this up is because the issue isn't about what the person uses when they attack people because the exact same kind of firearm was used to stop the suspect. It's the, it's whose hands those weapons are in. We've had this conversation for so many years and the fact that it happens at a church, these areas that they keep calling gun-free zones. If you go back in your mind and you think about uh, the Virginia Tech shooting, and I don't know if you even remember this, but there was a horrible scene before mass shootings were a thing that people paid very close attention to. And it was the old way that the police used to do things. Uh, Police training was that officers on the scene of any kind of a crime like this, you set up a perimeter and you wait for the SWAT team to come in and you wait for the specialist, the SAU, to come in and take care of the situation. Since then, police training has changed because as incidents change, the training changes for officers. Police are now trained that officer safety comes last, that when you go to a scene where there's an active shooter, you pursue and engage the suspect and do what's necessary to neutralize the suspect. In other words, you are literally fighting fire with fire. And in that situation, whether you are an off-duty police officer, an on-duty police officer, or a private citizen, when you are the person that is there to defend innocent people, the firearm becomes a good tool, doesn't it? And, and that's my whole argument about this of this gun control, this fight that we have about guns. Guns are a good thing when you are when they're in the hands of the right person. And what we should be doing is looking at the felons. And if you look at the drop in crime nationally, that's a great thing. One of the things that happened in the city of Phoenix is they're paying attention to people that weren't supposed to have guns, convicted felons. Um, one of the stories that I put with all of this is George Gascon, who is the district attorney in L.A. County. We would call it a county attorney. He was in Northern California, but before that, he was a police chief here in the Valley. And he left to take these other jobs, which was I was happy to see that he wasn't going to be here anymore. His leadership idea and the not-so-tough-on-crime political uh, agenda that he had is has, out, has law enforcement outraged. There are many people lining up now to run against him because you watch what happens when they make these laws. You look at the difference here. The way our county attorney talks about punishment for crimes, how she was out in front of what was going on in the East Valley and violence there, how we've got law enforcement reaching out and saying, hey, we've got these burglaries that are going on in the East Valley. You've got to be a lot more diligent. You've got to talk with your neighbors when it comes to uh, punishing people for um, organized retail theft. The county attorney here is arguing for tougher laws and more um Enforcement. Those are the kinds of things that work. Those are the kinds of things that are take away the incentive. Are they a cure-all? Nothing is a cure-all. You're always going to have a criminal element. But it's the people that are easy on crime and make excuses and are the ones that don't think that you have to be as aggressive as they are in order to stop it sometimes. That it's it, you're going to have violent altercations with criminals because criminals are violent people. If you don't believe that that's true, then you are doing your community a disservice. In a moment, how big is household debt in America? The Not the average household, but the household debt accumulated by the American people. The number is going to shock you. We'll talk about it next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a headline that was kind of shocking to me, again, from the website Zero Hedge, which I go to a lot for financial information. Household debt in America topped $17.5 trillion, and Americans are feeling the strain. That's the headline. Despite surging price inflation, resilient American consumers have managed to keep spending money, driving strong economic growth thanks to credit cards. Household debt rose by another $212 billion in the fourth quarter of 2023, surging to a record of $17.5 trillion. That is an amazing number. Um, and it's the kind of debt that is, is is what's scaring people. Now, here in the Valley, we know that we had very high inflation. While the country was suffering from inflation, the Valley for a while had some of the highest, if not the highest in the nation. It had to do with housing costs, had to do with fuel prices. And it has since subsided just a little bit. Rent is down about 5% for apartments and you know rental properties in, in the Valley, which is great news that it's down a little bit because we were seeing extremely high prices. There was a story that came out last week that Phoenix, the Valley, I shouldn't say Phoenix, but the Phoenix Metro um, and, and, you know, the rest of the country, when they think of the Valley, they say Phoenix, but it is the entire Valley that falls into this category, fell out of the top 10 of the best performing cities when it comes to the economy. Arizona's Morning News had Jim Rounds on, a Valley economist, and this study was done by by the Milken Institute, and they do it every year. And Jim Rounds disagrees with this, that the economy is faltering here in the Valley. Listen to a little bit of this. This study is massively flawed. Um, what, what happens when you have these studies that try to look at data across the entire nation, you have to be very general. You can't like look at things that are specific to a community, otherwise you can't evaluate hundreds of cities. And so they looked at, they looked at things in the wrong way uh, so they could publish something that you know, look really pretty on the website. It shows a map with the different colors of the rates of growth. But it's this is something I would never reference in any report that I'd be producing here. So they asked him, is there anything in this report that you thought was good or that you agreed with? We should be top 20. I mean, we're talking about a couple of hundred uh, 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 metro areas. So 18 isn't all that bad, but we really should be top 10. And so uh, talking about growth, the report ignored job growth, which was a big part of this. And this gets me to my point. They're saying this is where Phoenix stands. If we didn't make any adjustments for a global pandemic and we looked at the numbers from two years ago and we ignored all the high tech growth that the Phoenix area has enjoyed over the last couple of years. And based on all that, we are still 18. So even though they really screwed this up badly, we're still top 20. When you look at these, when you talk about economic growth, what Arizona has done, it's so interesting to me that the the administration is trying, the Biden administration is trying to take credit for the massive growth in the chip industry, the CHIPS Act and all of that. The the movement to bring TSMC to the Valley began a decade ago, maybe even longer than that. This was a process that took a very long time. One of the stories was how much money all these private organizations are spending in order to bring industry here. And now it used to be the Arizona Commerce Authority, and they're they're kind of have had their their legs cut out from under them. There's going to be changes. And I'm not saying those changes aren't warranted or some of them aren't warranted. 
But it is the idea that this administration came in less than four years ago, and all of a sudden that's why this is happening is absurd. If you've lived in Arizona for any length of time, you know that Intel's presence here in that industry, in that world, has been here for decades. I moved here 29 years ago, and they were a huge presence in the Valley economy years and years and years ago. Um, Their massive expansion in the East Valley. That doesn't mean that there aren't good things that happened with the CHIPS Act. My point is that it was a more than one thing that has led to this. The economic growth in the Valley had to do with deregulation in many ways. I keep talking about this. But now you've got all of these stories that have been written. I'm gonna, I want you to hear just the headlines. From This is across the gamut of publications. The most destructive EPA program you've never heard of. Democrats mum on Biden's newest air quality regulation threatening industry in their states. Uh, The cost of Biden's climate tax credit is soaring. Fastest growth, fast growth in the clean energy and EV boost estimated by $428 billion while cutting emissions. Arizona communities grapple with the cost of green energy future and more mining. Um, And uh, uh, this is the other part of it that to me gas stoves, dishwashers, dryers, the growing energy battle over appliances. Um, The reason why this is interesting to me is this over-regulation. We talked about mining. You've heard me mention this before. Um, I've looked into this because mining is, I think, Arizona is number one in mineral mining in the country, I believe. Um, I think before it might have been Nevada, but I think Arizona has surpassed that. I don't think you're going to find anyone who loves Arizona more than I do. I love this place. I want it to be pristine and beautiful. When you look at the at the strides the mining industry has made to do things environmentally proper, to do things in a way that protect the environment but still gets us the things we need. You can't push toward, and this is the this is the national security part of this. You can't push toward the green energy things this White House wants to without upping, without ramping up mining for other things. We're either going to pull oil and natural gas out of the ground, refine it and use it as fuel, or we're going to mine for minerals to do the things that we need with solar panels and batteries for electric vehicles. You can't, you've got to do one or the other. And what we've done here, I I keep talking about the Resolution Copper Mine because it was one of the greatest experiences I've had in such a long time is going into that mine and meeting the people that work at the Resolution Copper Mine in Superior. It was incredible, you know, to go basically a mile and a half underground or almost a mile and a half underground was incredible. Um, But the... um, what they do to be environmentally conscious, what they are doing to make sure that the tribes that have concerns about sacred lands don't have to have those concerns. There are those that still disagree, but stopping these mining projects in Arizona or stopping them anywhere in America doesn't mean that those minerals aren't going to be mined. They are, but you know who's doing it? The Chinese. Other nations who we know have uh, no concern for the environment, especially compared to U.S. interests. So you have these new EPA regulations that all of the state, many states, I shouldn't say all, many states are saying is going to hinder manufacturing and hinder industry in their states. And quietly they're saying it about this administration. The problem with it is that no one's saying it out loud. 
And this overregulation is going to damage the U.S. economy. There's no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen. Seventeen and a half trillion dollars in debt is the you know the 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 load that we're carrying as American consumers. If we start to see a slowdown in work. It's going to be bad. Next, we're going to go shift our focus to what's happening in the Middle East as Egypt threatens to void its peace treaty with Israel. What would that mean for the region? We'll get to that coming up in just a few moments. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, I want you to hear some good news first. Let's get to some of the good news out of Israel. This is Jordana Miller from ABC. Israeli forces free two hostages. In a daring rescue mission just before 2 a.m. local time, Israeli forces raiding a residential building in Rafah, freeing two Israeli hostages from the clutches of Hamas. The Israeli army says commandos stormed a second-floor apartment, some protecting the hostages with their own bodies, while others killed their captors. 70-year-old Louis Har and 60-year-old Fernando Marmon whisked off to safety, now recovering in an Israeli hospital. Hamas reporting intense airstrikes during the rescue mission, killing dozens in Rafa. Now, the White House, this is interesting. Uh, the, the U.S. is urging caution on this Rafa operation. This is James Longman from ABC with, with this. I'm going to get to a point once you hear this. President Biden warning Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu against a ground operation in Rafa without a credible plan to protect civilians. Netanyahu has said the IDF must push into the southern city, which is along Gaza's border with Egypt, to ensure what he calls total victory over Hamas. But in a phone call, the White House said Biden reaffirmed his view that a military operation in Rafa should not proceed without a credible and executable plan for ensuring the safety of and support for the more than one million people sheltering there. Let's talk about what they're dealing with. I'm going to get to Egypt in a moment, but because as they head south, if you look on the map, if you head south through Gaza and the border borders with Egypt, by the way, the Egyptians not allowing Palestinian refugees into Egypt. Isn't that fascinating that that they're not allowing refugees into their country, but now they're talking talking about um, ending their peace agreement with Israel. I'm going to get to this in a moment, but listen. Hamas terrorists hit a top-secret intelligence center underneath the UN's Palestinian Refugee Agency, the UNRWA, in Gaza that was uncovered by Israeli Defense Forces uh, over the weekend. The Hamas intelligence center included an electrical room, industrial battery-powered banks, and living space for the terrorists. The Times of Israel reported this. The IDF's discovery comes after revelations that at least a dozen of the agency's workers were connected to Hamas. My The reason why I bring this up is here we are, our nation, and I can't criticize everything that the Biden administration is doing. They, you know, they are the ones that have said we are, Israel's our friend. They reaffirmed our relationship. They said that they have a right to defend themselves. We are doing what we can in support and aid for, for them. But what's happening with this, I would say, is a propaganda um, kind of efforts that are happening is that Israel is somehow responsible for the for the uh, civilian casualties. If you look at the record, and this is a this is an unfortunate record to look at, civilian casualties in war, unfortunately, it's a part of every war that's happened and the Israelis record and the percentages of of 
um, I guess, unintended consequences, collateral damage is much better than you see Europe's or even the U.S. when we're involved in a conflict. The propaganda that somehow they are ignoring civilian casualties. Every At every turn, we see that Hamas is in places they aren't supposed to be, doing things they aren't supposed to be doing under anybody's rules of war. And yet somehow the U.N. is still looked at as a credible source for information and criticism of what the Israelis are doing. It, it, it boggles my mind that you've got people that are connected with these U.N. agencies directly connected to Hamas. And now we they find this place underground. So now they're moving south as they go to defeat and do what they can to make sure that Hamas never has the capability to attack them like they did on October 7th ever again. They're dealing with Hezbollah. They're dealing with the Houthis and, and what's happening in the Red Sea. All of this propaganda and war itself. And as they push south, now you've got Egypt saying they may end their peace agreement. And the U.S. is critical of Israel. That By asking the question or demanding that they have a plan, it sounds like they don't. It sounds like they are carelessly going in and allowing civilian deaths to happen with no concern for innocent lives. That's just not a true, it's not a true statement. And now you've got Egypt making this threat to end a peace agreement. And where I don't know, it may be happening behind the scenes. I don't know this. You know, obviously, we don't have access to it. But why isn't the U.S. pressuring Egypt to take refugees? Why isn't the U.S. pressuring Egypt to do more in the region? Why isn't the U.S. pressuring Egypt to put more pressure on Hamas and the Palestinians that are doing this? Instead, they lay everything at the feet of Israel, and I just don't think it's a fair assessment. I don't. I don't think it's a an a fair a, a fair picture of what's actually happening. We should be paying closer attention. Coming up uh, just after ten o'clock, we're going to go back to uh, the president of the United States and his fitness to continue in office. Uh, we're going to talk about it because it's an important conversation to have.